how good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in peace. These are the opening words from Psalm 133. And it's clearly these words that become sort of the resonant background of this fourth chapter of Acts, which is our, our New Testament passage for today. It's significant that this is the first Sunday after Easter. The resurrection has occurred, and what's called our lectionary, that is the, the common source of, of scriptural information that kind of informs churches like ours all across the world, the lectionary that makes these suggested scriptural passages for the morning message and the morning scripture readings in every church that, does, that uses the lectionary all across the world. It's interesting that for this year, for this day, the first Sunday after Easter, it's the 133rd Psalm, and it's the fourth chapter of Acts. That Psalm again, how good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in peace. What a great series of words and what a beautiful image that creates. And then this fourth chapter of Acts, where Psalm 133 forms the basis for this new community of Jesus followers. They're disciples of Jesus who are seeking to live out what they were taught, what they heard from Jesus. After this resurrection experience, trying to figure out what does it mean to be church? How do we care for one another? How inclusive do we become? How wide do we open our arms of faith? This will be a real struggle throughout the book of Acts, but also throughout the history of the Christian church. Today, we still struggle with this same issue. How inclusive should we be? How wide are the bounds of our communal ties? What does it mean today to be kindred? How good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in peace. What happens in this New Testament church seeking to live out Psalm 133 and live out following Jesus creates some interesting dynamics. And it doesn't take long for any of us who have studied this passage before and perhaps who have attempted to, in some ways, live it out in maybe a setting, for example, with me, my experiment with attempting to live out Acts chapter 4 occurred briefly in seminary. As a young idealistic seminary student studying the New Testament, I became convinced with my other student colleagues and peers that we really ought to try to help one another live in a community where we support each other and like that church in Jerusalem following Jesus to hold all things in common, to share with one another in communal living. This sounded like a good idea until the reality of how that works or in our case, in my case, didn't work. Bringing a gallon of milk and eggs and other things that we that I would put in a refrigerator in our kitchen and then 
show up the next day and say, wait a minute, I had a whole gallon of milk yesterday and there's only half a gallon left. Yeah, isn't it good? Isn't it, isn't it good and pleasant when kindred can live together in peace? Wait a minute, I'm not feeling very peaceful. I just got half a gallon of milk stolen. Where did it go? Isn't it a beautiful thing to share our stuff? No, not really. Not when I didn't expect the milk that I thought was going to last me for a whole week is now almost gone. No, that's not good and pleasant. Living together in peace requires often some very strong rules, just like understanding what the definition of clean means. Because another source of stress for many of us in that dorm setting in seminary was some of us thought cleanliness meant one thing, while others of us thought cleanliness meant something else. For some, leaving pots and pans and dishes in a sink was perfectly fine and perfectly clean while for others of us, it was aggravating and highly irritating. This communal living we began to refer to as the curse of the commons, where communal living is hard and really trying to share in this idea of being kindred is more difficult than maybe it sounds to some people. It was clearly an imitation not only of Psalm 133, but probably the New Testament church knew about and was imitating what we know today as the Qumran community. Perhaps you've heard this, this term. The Qumran community, of course, is famous now because it was from Qumran that we discovered this incredibly important biblical uh, and, and archaeological discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls very close overlooking the Dead Sea, the Qumran community was a community likely of Essenes who held all things in common. Around 200 BC or so, this group of people gradually began to migrate from Jerusalem into this area of Qumran overlooking the Dead Sea. Qumran, by the way, is simply a word that, that means two moons. And the idea is this, this outcropping of stone, this communal setting for the Qumran community, looked out over the Dead Sea, and at full moon, during full moons, the, the moon would reflect off the Dead Sea, and it would be two moons, so Qumran, two moons. And, and this community, as it developed, was a communal setting where they held all things in common. It was from about 200 BC up until the Roman invasion between 66 and 70 AD, the Qumran community was very active and uh, some say had as many between 200 and 300 uh, people in that community over that extended period of time, doing all kinds of interesting things like farming, even though they were in a desert setting, they became very creative in how they channeled water from other places and utilized irrigation in some amazing ways that allowed them to have abundant food, abundant water, uh, and, and just a, a setting where they could supply and keep this community going for all those years. Probably these early Christians in this fourth chapter are in a way somehow connected. In fact, there are some who believe that perhaps John the Baptist had some connection to the Qumran community and the Essenes in 
the way he lived, the lifestyle that he had, and and maybe moved in and through that community at various points. There are all kinds of fascinating connections, and we can wonder what it is that's going on with these early Christians, because what they do is ultimately uh, get rid of all private property. They hold all things in common. And this fourth chapter is very clear. No one had need of anything. Now, it sounds great, but as I found in my seminary experience, and perhaps as you found in experiences over the years, where unless you're really intentional about what communal living means, it can be a stressful, difficult thing, not at all good and pleasant. So churches like ours and churches across the ages have struggled with what does this mean in economic terms? How do we really care for one another as disciples of Jesus? When we use that terminology, disciples of Jesus, just like this church in Jerusalem, trying to figure out how do we make this happen? It's valuable to remember the word disciple, as we've said before, literally means it, the word discipline, of course, comes from the word disciple, but disciplined in the sense that the Latin derivation of disciple is one who is a learner. Somebody who's a disciple of Jesus is learning how to follow Jesus. And the word learning, of course, is, is so important because it simply implies we never fully get there. We're always learning step by step, all the time, every day, learning how to follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are, are really um, defined by two primary characteristics. We, as disciples of Jesus, have to have these two things compassion and understanding. And this church in Jerusalem is following Jesus as disciples of Jesus. They are working with this model of trying to be compassionate and trying to be understanding. They are trying to figure out how do we help the least of these, those who have struggled for whatever reason and, and have not been able to be uh, fully viable maybe in an economic sense. How do we help them be a part of a community and feel loved and cared for with the abundance that we have been blessed with? This experiment in communal living seemed to work for a while at least. There is this sense of, of almost joyous gathering where surely Psalm 133 uh, comes to the fore and how good and pleasant it is when kindred can live together in peace. Now, one of the elements that probably are at work here is uh, the fact that these folks in Jerusalem have come from Galilee. It seems that most of them, at least in the second chapter of Acts, uh, are labeled in kind of derogatory terms of, uh, aren't these people Galileans? What are these Galileans doing speaking uh, languages that are foreign to them? This is at the second chapter of Acts, and we'll talk more about this on Pentecost Sunday, uh, May 23rd this year. But in this case, we can discern from those early remarks and what's happening now in this fourth chapter that these folks are primarily from Galilee, probably. And it's a little easier for them to be claiming 
kindredness. That is, the word kindred, of course, means they are of the same uh, family origins or tribal systems, or at least in Galilee, they're from the same area. They're, they're familiar with each other. They know each other. They've got cousins and aunts and uncles, and they're, they're all maybe somehow connected, even though it may be distantly. There's some sense of kindredness there, probably. And yet what this early church begins to wrestle with is clearly more and more people are joining up. More and more people are wanting to be followers of Jesus. This, of course, puts both an incredible amount of joy and excitement in the community, and it adds a good deal of stress to the community. Because the more people you add, the more kindred you try to fit in, the more you have to begin to adjust to how wide do we open our arms? How big should we let this thing get? Uh, at some point, we stop being kindred with one another in the sense that we're intimately connected through family ties. This is where it gets tough because in our setting today, just like with that early Christian church, we continue to ask, how far do we go? How wide does this thing get? On the Sunday after Easter, it is valuable to wrestle with this question, both in economic terms as well as in cultural terms. It's clear that from this moment in this early church setting, they are beginning to try to figure out when Jesus sat with the disciples and said, this is my body, this is my blood broken for you, take this into you and make me a part of yourselves. Slowly, there was this realization that if we are intimately connected to Jesus, all of us, that means we are also intimately connected to one another. In other words, the word, the term, the, the idea of kindred begins to expand exponentially. This creates stress, but also additional excitement. For us today, this continual questioning, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to have the discipline of compassion and understanding, to continue to wonder, what does this expansive love of God look like in real terms? Well, we can say we know for sure what it doesn't look like. When we talk about compassion and understanding in our world today, where we as the church have the obligation to look on hatred, bigotry, racism, exclusion, and to make the continual commentary, that is wrong especially lately with the terrible things that have been said about uh, our brothers and sisters of Asian origin, what is now being beginning to be referred to as Asian hate. For us as a church to say that is wrong, just like it's wrong to be prejudiced against or exclusive of our lesbian and gay or transgender, bisexual or queer brothers and sisters to push back and say that is wrong to exclude or look down upon or treat differently a person of color or an African-American brother 
or sister, or a white brother or sister, or a female, or a male, or anyone of, of a person who's older, uh, ageism. There are all these, these isms that we're struggling with. And this New Testament church and trying to figure this out in this joyful uh, beginning where they held all things in common and there was not a needy person among them and they loved one another. And this word, of course, of, of um, moving through this beautiful passage and the way it, it uh, describes they all were in common. There was not a needy person among them and the grace of Jesus flowed through them all. Perhaps this is the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The, the, the call to be a learner, to, seeking, to seek compassion and understanding, but do so because we recognize the grace of Jesus flows through us. That the image of kindred is much bigger and broader than we ever imagined. That the community of faith is not just people within one particular congregation, nor is it the, the simply the broader community that surrounds us. But this idea of kindred becomes much bigger than we ever dreamed. And the calling that we all have as disciples of Jesus, seeking compassion and understanding because of the grace of Jesus given to me, flows through me, and becomes now the operative way I am called to act and interact with my world. We as the church are constantly called upon to offer that ongoing critique. What does it mean to be open-minded, open-hearted, and open-armed to those in the world who may not look like us or sound like us? Are there boundaries? Well, that's always the debate and the, the struggle that we have. And this certainly this early church had to wrestle with that. And there were arguments about it. And we'll talk more as we move through the book of Acts and, and come in and out of these fascinating passages where these early Christians were trying to figure out how does this work and who are we to be really? And following Jesus in the way that Jesus needs us to is an ongoing task where learning how to be disciples of compassion and understanding is a lifetime journey. It is exciting. It can be stressful, but it always requires us to be more imaginative and creative than we perhaps ever really thought. And it allows us to recognize that God's vision of our world is more expansive than we ever imagined. Our prayer, our ongoing quest as followers of Jesus, as those who want to take seriously what the Bible describes and pushes us towards, is the quiet prayer. Lord, may the grace of Jesus flow not just into me, but through me and into my community so that I can see how good and pleasant it is to live together with our kindred, whoever they may be.
in peace. May it be so. In the beautiful name and with the grace of Jesus. Amen.